Did it look at you? Did the podcast too much movie look at you? It did. Whoa. Wow. Our worlds, Rob Belushi, Chris Candy, and Blake Howard's worlds, they aren't that far apart from yours, are they? So, whoever is doing this podcast, they know the podcasting animal, don't they? So whoever is doing this podcast, Too Much Movie, about movies that are just too much, they know the animal well, don't they? But they only let it have fun once a month. So do they love him? Now who doesn't love podcasts and is around trichloride all day long? Well, you'll have to listen to find out. As Too Much Movie's official Toastmaster and bullshitter, I think it appropriate that we recognize the two asswipes podcast co-hosts among us who today were officially baptized in the world of old man fire. First to Rob, despite the fact he has a rather dull expression and a really hideous pair of ears, he not only took on the beast, but pulled from its clutches a kicking and screaming subscriber who will probably wind up suing us or giving us a five-star review and to chris whose own contribution was much more beautiful but less likely to sue so raise a glass people to funny luke and rob belushi and chris candy who've gotten on each other's nerves and still managed to get lost in those movies that are too much in the best possible way gentlemen fuck you Bless you. Welcome back to Too Much Movie. I am one of your trio of co-hosts, Blake Howard. Of course, I have Rob Belushi. Of course, I have Chris Candy. We are, we're camping in the 90s on this series, talking about movies that are just far too much. And today we are talking about what I think has been slighted as Ron Howard's attempt to do Top Gun uh, in his 1991 Chicago classic, Backdraft. It's like organized confusion. Over over uh, three, four hundred degrees in temperature. And then you just got these guys that are running into this building. Everybody else is running out. And these lunatics are running in. Is there a real Chicago fireman's outfit I see on you? It's in the blood, Willie. When I heard that both McCaffrey brothers were being assigned here at this station together, my heart was filled with a, a sudden desire to transfer. <laughs> Brian, damn you! Let's just have one drill, Lieutenant. Now one for the company and one for me. You have a bad day here, somebody dies. Check that door for heat. I mean, is that an accident or is it ours? I'll get that answer as soon as I do. We're starting to get the feeling that your office is dragging out this case. The chances that you're dead. I don't know if the floor's gonna be on fire on one of these. Well, when the door's open, if it's hot, don't get out. <laughs> 
show me a fire truck. So you punched out a window for ventilation. Was that before or after you noticed you were standing in a lake of gasoline? You shouldn't have had him up there in the first place. You burned him, Stephen! A stone killer trying to make a point. Three guys have died already this year because of the cuts made by your task force. I'm not gonna quit, Steven, you hear me? Let's start with you, our Chicagoan, because I feel like we've done a Chicago double now with The Fugitive and Backdraft. This movie has no right to be nearly as good as it is, nor as rewatchable. I mean, I've seen this movie a billion times when I was a kid. I'm so glad we started thinking about revisiting it. I've watched it three times since we've talked about it. Man, just tell (laughs) tell me about this movie and your love of Backdraft. You came to pick Robert's brain because nobody knows the animal like Robert. No, I think, I think you're, I love this movie and it's, you know, the thing that I'm real, I watched this movie probably five times a year and I loved it as a kid and I loved it as a grown man and, and what it means kind of changes as, as you watch it. And one thing I was telling you before we started that is so consistent is it makes me absolutely ugly cry in the same like five places in the movie every time I watch it. And this morning I was like heaving. Um, I love this movie. You know, I, I think, I, I think people, I don't, I don't know what people think. I I know people love it. Chicagoans love it. We loved it. I grew up with two of my best friends, uh, Chad Taylor and Larry Miller, both their dads were firemen when this movie came out and it it was like, we thought they were the coolest guys in the world. We'd go to the firehouse and, you know, let firemen be heroes. I mean, it treats, treats them as the heroes that they are. And, you know, it's, it's a monster movie about fire, but, uh, but the real villain is cowardice and corruption. And, you know, Adcox's vigilant, vigilantism is is against their code you know they save people not kill people but it's it's so about so much more than that obviously it's a it's a movie about family and brothers um it's about working men who sacrifice their fathers their marriages their children to do this job that is principled and action-oriented and corruption and greed are the biggest threat to this heroic purpose 
in this film. They're, they're undoubtedly heroes. And, and Stephen's bravery in running towards the fire is also, you know, him running away from grief and even more loss. Um, but he, I just, I love this, this, it's very Chicago without, you know, we just talked about fugitive and like fugitive is, you know, the, 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 the actor at the party name dropping every actor they've worked <laughs> with about the city of Chicago, which I love, but this movie just really gets the, the backbone of the city and the accents are, I mean, I'm not your father. You got somewhere to go. No. <laughs> or the way Scott Glenn says office. <laughs> Swayzak's office. It's just. Swayzak is a the wonderful... most Chicago name I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Yeah. I, I love it. It's a really moving film. I think, you know, sometimes it's melodramatic and, um, but it's so effective and, and like, I don't know. It just shows how how melodrama can be a human thing. I think sometimes it's gendered. It's been marketed as a gendered thing, but this is a soap opera for for guys, for families, yeah. for Chicagoans, and um, <laughs> it's such a great ride. I mean, they made it a ride because those fires are rides, jumping, yes. sliding. Yeah. The fire is alive. It's, you know, the animal. They call it the animal. And it's great performances. I mean, I, I'll, I'll go on, but we're gonna, that's we're gonna, my first takeaway. We're going to get so deep into this. Chris Candy, you've yeah. just, you, like, you are fresh off of spinning this bad boy. Tell me about Backdraft. Yeah, it's similar to uh, what Rob was saying. Uh, it's definitely a movie that I see often. Um, and... I remember watching this movie when I was a kid and it, um, but on the, the rewatch with it, uh, it really is like, again, like two movies going on. Um, it's, it is this, like, I could see the critique of it being like, you know, maybe Ron Howard's attempt at Top Gun, but it's, it's also the, it, I, I was going to tweet you, um, before we watched it, backdraft really is heat because it's got so much in it, you know, and it's got, and the De Niro story is, it, it might as well be a De Niro story, you know, but it's, you've got, you know, Russell on the cover of it. Um, it's one of those movies that just had more twists and turns than I remembered, similar to The Fugitive. Um, there is a lot going on here. Um, and I, I, I will say, though, it really felt like this kind of action roller coaster movie that meets up with this really, intense drama that comes together in the movie theater scene, which I thought was really interesting. Yes. You know, it will get into scenes and all of that stuff, but the movie really crosses paths. And I just thought it was interesting. I don't know if it was intentional in the movie theater. There's, you know, a third backdraft pyromaniac element, you know, the, the classic scene of the smoke going in guy blows up with the, you know um, he's got the uh, excuse architecture, architectural paperwork, the schematics and then you have de niro with baldwin and then you know he's now crossed over and then the guys roll up and kurt and 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 uh all of the the crew rolls up and it's the two movies combining at that point and um i just because 
yeah, I'll go in all the scenes, but there's just so many parts of this movie where it could have just been a dedicated Robert De Niro feature. Um, but it does a really great job of blending the two. And I'll leave it on this um, to kind of go like mega from Chicago. Spielberg does this often. I talk about this a lot on the podcast of world creation. And Ron Howard does an incredible job at creating a world. It's a Chicago, you know, but it's also super, it's, it's like superficial. I mean, it's, it's, it's more so, it's greater than, um, superior. And it, it has this feeling of, of um, you know, uh, unreal, non-reality. It's, it's interesting. It, you know, it's like Fugitive feels like Chicago. Backdraft kind of takes you into this backdraft world uh, that is Chicago. And I greatly enjoyed that on the rewatch, just, you know, getting kind of wrapped up into that world again. Um, I love this scene in the very beginning when they're all getting their uh, placements for their precincts and they're in the bar and talking to the bartender. And I'm like, this place doesn't really exist. It, <laughs> you know, it does, but it doesn't. But it's OK because I'm watching a movie. And and I really appreciated that that ride that I went on. Um, and that, you know, I, I just I think that a great film the fire uh, the element he creates he turns the fire into jaws you know he really does a great job at at um at having your antagonist be this thing that you would never think to be an antagonist a very difficult feat it's so for everyone who may not remember and i'm sure that's no one who's listening <laughs> right now it's it's obviously directed by ron howard it's 1991 it has an immense cast kurt russell william baldwin Robert De Niro, Donald Sutherland, the face meltingly hot Jennifer Jason Lee, Scott Glenn, Rebecca De Mornay, pre-hand that rocks the cradle, Jason oh. Gedrick, JT Walsh. Um, it is just so amazing. W.L. Brown pops up in here. Um, of course, a, a Howard brother. We'll get to that. Um, it's about two Fireman brothers, Brian and Stephen McCaffrey, as they finally come together, Brian uh, coming to be a fireman after uh, a couple of failed attempts and a couple of failed careers, um, thinking that he wants to live out his family's legacy. Stephen, who the bull, um, who is a lieutenant in uh, Chicago Station House 17. But I think we've both just touched on something that this movie does amazingly. Like we talk about like A and B plots in movies, what's happening. Sure. We had a great one um, uh, in our last show talking about the fugitive because the A is obviously Richard Kimball and the B is Gerard. But I never realized how effortlessly they are fused and how great they interact in this movie. And just in that opening scene, that first scene, which comes up so damn fast in the movie, by the way, sure. which is that first backdraft explosion where he walks, where you see the guy walk to his front door, get shot out onto the car. Yeah. I mean, look, bless movies that can actually do real explosions because, oh my God, they just, they hit and look different. And, what do you see? You see the amazing Stephen McCaffrey played by Kurt Russell in his most like overtly John Wayne role since Big Trouble in Little China, walking out of the flames, face up, hero shot. And then you see Robert De Niro's shadow walking into the fallout of this thing back to the camera. And it's like, they are the alpha and the omegas of this movie. Well, what do we got here? Fireman's costume, huh? <coughs> Where'd you rent it? <coughs> Thanks for coming to my graduation today, brother. Real inspiration to me. I'm sorry, man. I mean, you 
You're really ready to fight fire this time around, huh, Brian? <laughs> it just doesn't work on you, little brother. I'll see you around. Not likely. Well, you see, that's where you're wrong already. Yeah. Talk to Chief Fitzgerald, and he decided that maybe you shouldn't be way over on the other side of town where I'd never get to see you. So starting tomorrow, you're going to be with the toughest company in the city. 17. <laughs> One case of scotch, Brian, man, you get cheap in your old age. And like you said, it's this weird thing, fire is Jaws, but I had, no, forgive me for saying, but like I had the biggest Manhunter vibes on this newest watch. Cause I'm like, oh, like Robert De Niro's Will Graham and mm -hmm. Donald, Donald Sutherland's Ronald is like. A hundred percent Hannibal Lecter. He's Hannibal Lecter for yes, fire. They literally yes, have a quid 100%. pro quo scene. <laughs> that, yeah. that, there is it. Like, and I'm like, what fucking year was this made? I'm like looking at my notes and when was it shot? Because the, there is such an 86 Manhunter vibe. There is such a, you know, the, the whole Brian, like adopting that, like, um, outsider perspective and quid pro quo moments and sharing. You've seen the animal, you've seen yeah. it, you know, all those things. It just, it's just such a, it, it like expanded the movie for me. Cause I think in a lot of people's memories, you might be thinking about, oh, this is like ephemera. It's a B plot. It doesn't take up much sure. time, but it's such a quintessential part of the movie that by the time, as you said, Chris, I love that you said like meets in the cinema because it does when those A and B plots merge and it becomes the plot of the movie and everyone's entangled. Um, that's where it really, that, really shines. That's the uptown theater on Broadway. <laughs> that's like, uh, North side, uh, up by where the Annoyance Theater used to be. And, and it's something so interesting that you're talking about, like the place that is Chicago and the spaces are really well-defined between the guys who do the job. Uh, you know, they live in, you know, they're the firehouses are on like the West side on Archer and, uh, you know, um, Stephen's house is very clearly, you know, like a, maybe a Northern kind of neighborhood, um, as alternated between Swayzak and the shoes he wears and the office spaces. It's all around the fugitive area, right? The, right. the office near the river or on the riverboat event, you know, where it's just a very, it, it's a strict dichotomy of spaces. Yeah. The other thing too, with this movie that like, and I've noticed that with a lot of these movies, um, I think outside of maybe LA confidential, cause LA confidential, I just was so excited to do, but so far, all of these movies that we've picked, um, on first glance, when you want to rewatch it, you kind of feel like, you know, what you're getting into, but then when you dive in, there is just so much going on. And, um, again, passive viewing, like, it's really interesting that you're inputting all of this stuff while so easily watching this movie. Yes. Um, and a lot of movies aren't able to do that this day and age. And I just, I really, really appreciate it at this time. I do also want to say 
if I ever smoked cigarettes, I would want to smoke them as cool as Cedric Young does. <laughs> that actor, I had to look him up because, you know, he plays someone in, in Bull's Precinct uh, Station 15, I believe. Um, he was just so fun to watch. And uh, when we get into our favorite lines, he had some of my favorites. Grendel's sure. got, yeah, Cedric Young's Grendel has um, some of the great lines in this movie. Um, <laughs> so amazing. Let's, like... Um, the other thing I just want to shout out, just because we've been talking about when this movie happens, um, Gregory Wilden is the writer, and this is him at the kind of the peak of his powers. Uh, if you've never heard of his name just off the bat, he wrote Highlander. Um, so he writes Highlander and Highlander 2 The Quickening. And so that's kind of his story. He joins Ron Howard here. Ron Howard is off the back of like things like Willow, and, and he's sort of really like establishing himself as a kind of what we know him now, like this like very genre-fluid filmmaker who goes where the movies go. Hans Zimmer, before he's kind of Hans Zimmer, giving maybe one of his oh. best scores oh, he ever. Is up so, in ever. It. <laughs> so, so tasty. It's yeah. delicious. Oh. And and then you've got, um, I want to shout out also, Jason Gedrick, who plays Tim, um, which is William Baldwin's, uh, uh, Brian's best buddy. He's like, he did get market corrected by Scott Wolf, um, but he does have all that same, I'm trying to be young Tom Cruise energy in this movie, which I, I think is fantastic. Um, yes. but, and it's just- Spitting it's just, the water out in the shower just, is very Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I was like, no one ever did that before they saw him gargle. It's like, it, I love that, I love that. William Baldwin's like, this is disgusting. You're like right next to me. Can you stop that? <laughs> like we've just been You're gonna do this job or you're great at it. My dad used to say that all the time. It's, it's <laughs> not a line. <laughs> and then he spits. Also, his character is like a flashpoint, if you will, between Chris and I, because during the uh, during the pandemic when we started really chatting a lot again, um backdraft was the thing we came together on, and we and Chris kept just <laughs> texting me you're gonna check that door for heat tim and like we'd <laughs> then we'd watch it and send that thing back and forth like i mean it's so macabre and so sad when he dies because that really that's the moment that changes brian and yes. and bull i mean it changes everything it's the real stakes but but yeah tim tim chris whiskey or whatever his name is he, he brought us together oh, yeah tim that just I, it's it, it it's not maybe one of my favorite lines. It's one of the lines I live by from that movie. <laughs> For some reason, um, and I'll just briefly talk on it now because we're here. Um, check that door for heat. Tim has always been like the pre like meme pre viral video in my mind since the nineties. Like yeah. I've just always used it as the beginning of a joke or some kind of thing to gag around my friends like it, it's always been so funny um and to rewatch it this morning it still holds up as what i realize it is 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 that line is is there's such like a there's such an answer to it you know it's like and and it's no. such a moment and, and, <laughs> yeah well, also I'm, I'm gonna comment too just because this, this works perfectly for this segment of the show is like Again, this movie has all the things. It's got all the moments. It's got the big lines. It's got the montage sequence. It's got the amazing score. It's got the sex. It's got like all these things that the 90s are kind of known for, but sewn together in a way that is very, very digestible and very, very fun to watch. And so I just, I again, like, yeah, 
check that door for heat tim is just just oh, so mixed good. into the batter of a perfect film and it's it's that that idea also of that is just not around anymore of having a really deep and meaningful conversation being 30 centimeters or a foot away from your best buddy while you're both naked and you're gargling also is something that is deeply 90s and it's hilarious. oh i mean the most intimate sex of this whole film is the end when bull is holding axe you know yeah you go we go like the, him rolling with uh, helen with, with like the immediate dissolve away from their bedroom has nothing on the intimacy and like erotic nature of two men dangling you know yes the uh the the uh, eroticism of this film is not on the top of a fire truck it's between men <laughs> yeah. the entire movie that that is 100 true well, well like the jennifer jason lee thing on top with amongst the hoses yes. which is it's funny because like when she first meets him they're emotional moment is broken short by the the horseplay with the hoses yeah you know revealing uh brian is still very immature so then when they make love it's amongst hoses as well and like we don't see it ron howard just turns it into like a gag with the bra coming off the line and hijinks ensue with them like on top of that fire truck pulling out to a fire like so it's not it's not um you know body of evidence you know what I mean? can, can, can we just i want to shout out um uh jennifer's elderly grandmother and it's the most chicago yes. stuff uh, her name is zitter the Sockus, playing grandma vitkus and she her ability to just stop in the middle of the street to abuse a man in another language is just one of my favorite things i think i've yeah. ever seen in a movie she just gets it just starts ripping into him it's such a perfect character moment and she like has to break up a fight with her ex and her grandma in the street i'm like i love this this is good this is great character work for just like a beat for like a half second it rules so hard and yeah it's uh it's it's one of my favorite moments in the movie he's he's uh the the writer and ron howard are are great at introducing character Very so great, fast yeah. It's like with with Brian, we've got the moment with all the jobs at the bar where he's right, got same. the business, the bartender has the 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 business cards, and then we have this grandmother assaulting him. Um, so we know uh, she still hates me. Yeah, it's it's like a five line scene between him and Jennifer Jason Lee, and we just know that it went bad, and he's been gone for six years. The Robert De Niro one is the the Don Ringale character is such a hard three beats of him screaming at that guy you know yeah. don't just stand around you can tell me that's what it was wasn't it yes sir so you punched out a window for ventilation was that before or after you noticed you were standing in a lake of gasoline was that before or after you noticed you were standing in a lake of gasoline you idiot before sir you could have burned or killed or crisped half that company to say nothing about the fact that you wrecked the physical evidence that I used to prove that it's arson, and you know how goddamn hard it is to determine the cause of these fires. Now you go home and you think about that. I'll have to call them back. Excuse me, yeah. Brian McCaffrey, your new assistant. Oh, yeah, your dentist's kid. Well, why don't you go find a corner to hide in? I'll get to you later. I don't want to have to deal with you now. 
And then he calms down. He, he t- tells Billy Baldwin to go away and he changes and you see that he's been burned, you know? Mm-hmm. So you see what's important to him and why. Um, and then of course we meet grown up Steven, like you mentioned, coming out of that smoke filled room with a smoke filled building with the ax and silhouette. And he's just like, I mean, they even say it, you know, it's John Wayne time, no backup later in the movie. He, yeah. he is such a hero and Highlander, uh, all, all that stuff, like the making of the hero that is Stephen um, McCaffrey and Kurt Russell steps into it and just absolutely kills it. He's just, he is. He ate the movie. He ate. Yeah. He's unbelievably good. <laughs> the go go Chicago. His go go Chicago. He's home. The boat. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I I think too. Like I wrote this um, at the very end of the movie as they're leaving the station, and and um, I've just you know ingested this film for the umpteenth time. This is very much a a hero movie, like we said. But we don't get movies like that anymore. And I'm not saying that we should necessarily, but they give it the Marvel treatment. They give this the Batman treatment. They give the ordinary, the superhero treatment, and they do it really well. The uniforms look rad, the gear, the whole thing. Like even the beginning of the movie, this isn't necessarily a hero movie, but it's an action movie. When they're driving that first fire and they're playing uh, like the rock and roll music, that's like Predator. It's like very beginning. Whenever I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're like, it's like Predator. They're like getting airdropped in. You know, you just have. Is this a sensation. genuine, is this a genuine working A-track? <laughs> oh, so yeah. good. <laughs> oh, so fun. Well, look, we're going to take a quick break um, and then we're going to dive back in uh, to the categories. Um, before we dive into that, guys, um, one thing about. Uh, Gregory Wilden, he was a firefighter for three years. So he wrote the story inspired by himself. Um, there's just so many great stories. We will, we'll try and wedge some of the, um, the tidbits into this movie, but this was a monster movie, had a profound cultural impact. Um, I believe to this day, there's even that, that moment that is like the, the poster moment of Kurt Russell bursting through the two doors with the little, um, the little boy, uh, is like that silhouette of him carrying him through the burning doorway is like that got turned into a sticker. They got stuck onto people's like number plates and firehouses and stuff like that. So, I mean, we've got, we've got to dive in the, to the absolutely ludicrously impossible task of actually, uh, doing the categories of this movie which is why selecting our two favorite scenes which just forget it um but uh we're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll do that all right chris candy oh my god i'm gonna throw this over to you to get started Uh, oh my god try try and get even close to two favorite scenes because i i think if we if we asked the three of the three of us, when we first decided that we're going to do this episode, what our two favorite scenes are. I think genuinely, personally, I would have just said two things off the top of my head that were the top of my memory. And now that I've watched it a few times in preparation for us having a chat, I'm just like, oh my God, like this, no, no. I've got like 10 favorite scenes now and and for a whole bunch of different yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll cheat a little bit and say I have three and I'll just nod to that early scene when I realized that the two 
uh, stories are meeting up in the movie theater. That scene has always been a favorite of mine. Um, and I, I, you know, just I'll, I'll preface with that. Um, but I'm going to have to say that, um, you know, all the De Niro scenes are great. I'm obviously a big De Niro fan. Um, but as he's getting closer to kind of figuring out what's going on, um, and we're in the, uh, well, I guess both scenes are going to take place in that high rise. I think the high rise scene is just, is, is got two of my favorite scenes in it. Um, because that, that, that whole set, maybe I'll just combine the two into this. Um, you know, that whole set is just, it feels like Ghostbusters. It feels creepy. It's scary. The sound design in this movie is incredible. The voice of the fire that they give and the sound of the fire, but, you know, we have obviously that first scene with the accident where Tim gets hurt, which is just incredible. And that's the, you check that door for heat, Tim scene. It just, it, it embodies action and, and also the stakes, like all of the characters show up, right? So we see how naive Kurt Russell is, how kind of like stupid he can be. You know, he really does get that guy hurt. That's the thing. Like he didn't check the door for heat, but at the same time, like, he should have had his back more. He's splitting the teams up. You're seeing Kurt's weaknesses. Uh, that that line, see how, how do we know if the floor is going to be on fire in one of these? And when Bull says, oh, when the door's, when the door's open, open, if it's hot. It's hot. Don't get out. Don't get out. <laughs> this movie has such an A, B to it, right? You have the fire, A story. But then you have the B, you have De Niro showing up. And when De Niro has his little cocktail kit of, of fire starting stuff. Mm -hmm. And he sprays the olive oil douser of uh, gasoline on, oh, dude. on the wall. And then and he's explaining what the villain is. God, that is just such an incredible scene when he's talking about how it's a living thing and it, and it breathes and it eats. And the, what always scared me about that scene and I love about that scene is you see how quick the fire travels, you know, you just, you see, and you, you know, and there's this one scene where it's like billowing kind of encompassing the ceiling and then he um, takes care of it. it. It's awesome because it shows the strength of De Niro's character where he is so smart and it, it and he's able to start a fire and safely put it out. acting a little strange he's right there's residue Holcomb is the third victim backdraft was set up somewhere in there fried Holcomb when he opened the inner door but the outer door held and it waited for Tim in a word Brian what is this job all about? Fire. It's a living thing, Brian. It breathes, it eats. Whatever it hates. spread this way across the door and up across the ceiling, not because of the physics of flammable liquids, but because it wants to. Some guys on this job fire wrongs on me. 
takes and fight it on its level. But the only way to truly kill it is to love it a little. Just like Ronald. I think he just, he brings so much comfort and he's such an awesome counter to bull bull is bullheaded he kind of just like runs in there you know uh, is getting people burned but the nero's like not only do i know how to start a fire and where it came from i know how to put it out and i just thought that that scene really encompassed the character really well and was in dynamic uh and in comparison really great against kurt russell um i i also the only say- way to kill it is to love it a little <laughs> yeah <Just like> ronald <laughs> It breathes, it eats, it hates. I want to talk about that because when you talk about that great moment, Chris, where Shadow walks into the room to sort of look at the fallout of this thing, knowing what's happened with Tim and Kurt Russell's scene in profile and he's crying. Crying. That's such a great scene. And it's like these two, like you forget two of the biggest actors ever, Kurt Russell and Robert De Niro in this movie, and they're together a bunch. And there's a and they're not in comparison. They're not in there's not a battle. It's not like a head to head a la heat. It's just let's get these two guys together and just see what sparks fly because they're so different. They they act so differently. They have different styles, but man, do they complement one another in that that in that exchange. Holy shit, when you see him he, go Steven and he's going to talk to him and you can see You okay, really, Steven? You okay, yeah. He says Are you okay? You yeah. okay? Like he it's 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 I, I I can't figure out what the the psychoanalytic angle is of it, but, but he's think, checking in on him. You know, he's I, yeah. the one, he's got it I together. Took it, I took it to mean just like, I see you. Yeah. I acknowledge you. I know what you're going through. You know, you're not alone. That's what I took it at. And it, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. He, he, he's been there and he's maybe outside of it. He's not going into the fires when they're, they're going off anymore. Yes. But, but Steven is, and um, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what that was in regards to, but it, it, it could deal with personal trauma, could deal with anything. I'm not quite sure if there was a deeper meaning in the writing, but clearly, you know, Steven's tortured. He's dealing with a lot. He's trying to micromanage all this stuff. And then you've got De Niro, who's just like, I know how to, I know that that happens, and I don't do that anymore. And it's it was just so great, uh, the decomposition of a fire. It was awesome. Um, and then I also just to say it, you know, um, not because you, of the physics of flammable liquids, <laughs> but because it wants to. Yes. <laughs> and he's talking about the putty and the magnesium. When we when we meet Ronald Bartel too, like it's just such again another left turn in cinema that's so desired and donald sutherland does such an incredible job he's creepy as all hell shadow shadow hi shadow hi ronald how you doing staying comfortable i didn't think you were going to make it oh no i wouldn't miss this for the world who's that he works for me he's a fireman like fire. Yeah, you like everybody, Ronald. Brian McCaffrey. Yeah, sure you know that's Stephen. Yeah. He's the little one with the hat. Oh, what a treat. Hey, do I know you? Your dad did. Who the hell is this guy? Uh, put it away. Come on, Shadow. 
He lost his dad to the animal, and you didn't even tell him who he was coming to see? Tell him. Let me tell you about old Ronald. Ronald likes telephones. Likes to tape wooden matches to the bell strikers, and then wrap it in cottonwood gasoline. You had a whole little thing going there, didn't you, Ronald? Yeah? And when you got bored, what'd you do? What'd you do? <laughs> Started making telephone calls. Never proved. <laughs> Uh, tell him about us down on State Street. Nah, nobody cares about that one. <laughs> it was your basic warehouse torch that I was doing for the owner. I mean, they're a cakewalk. I just... I just lost my concentration, I guess, and my animal turned on me. Got the whole place going like hell. My hair was on fire, my hands, everything. I was dead. And suddenly I was alive. I was being pulled out of there by my hero, my shadow here. <laughs> Except, of course, you didn't see this big tub of phosphorus, did you? Explosion lit him up so bright, left his shadow on the wall. Still shy about rolling up your sleeve, shadow? Show him your stomach. The funny thing about firemen, night and day, they're always firemen. Talk about a guy who can just can't roll into a movie and steal the whole fucking movie from Kurt Russell and Robert De Niro and William Baldwin. And just, he just like, it becomes, it's the Donald Sutherland show. It's like, it's also like, you know, to compare it again to like Marvel movies, people get so excited when like a new character shows up, but this movie is like, we get excited when a new actor shows up, <laughs> yes. you know, we, you know, it's like, Oh my God, Donald Sutherland. And he, <laughs> he his superpower is, to pull us in and make it so believable because that scene when he's being up for um, his parole and you're thinking they're going to let him out, but then you're going, why is De Niro here? You know? (laughs) And then he walks up to him. Oh, and that's one of my favorite lines, but when he, you know, I'll get into that later, but when he's, what do you want to do to little girls? (laughs) Yeah. What do you want to do to, what do you want to do? Old ladies. What did you do to that little girl, Ronald? I burned her. I burned her. What do you do to old ladies, Ronald? Burned them. What, what about the world? What would what, you like to do to the whole world? What would you like to do to the whole world? Burn it all. And then <laughs> he can't hide his joy. <laughs> and and the the freaking I, I mean that's definitely going to feature in best lines of the movie. And then how awesome Shadow is, where he's like, "See you next year, Ronald." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> At that point in the movie, I I solely was like, this could be two movies. Yeah. It it, it easily you know because you can easily have a movie that's just De Niro being like a forensics fire detective. And then you could have another movie that's like your action, big blockbuster, but that's what makes the film so good. It's, it's a perfect blend of both styles of film. Rob Belushi, your two favorite scenes. Yeah. I mean, gosh, gosh, it's hard. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, my, my two scenes, I, I mean, look, there's, there's so many good ones, but uh, the one that that hits me the hardest is always, and maybe this is like my innate psychology on display, but the morning after um, Stephen and Helen have their, they, they come back together and make love and, and he's making breakfast in the morning with Sean, his son. And, you know, he's like, you're going to, you're going to leave the shells in there. That's part of the formula. Okay. <laughs> you know, and he's enjoying his son. And he's being a dad, which you know, we've seen him be like an angry dad to Brian, um, but we haven't seen him be a caregiver. And it's immediately contradicted by Helen's entrance saying, 
I don't want to get them the, give them the wrong idea. You're the best, Stephen. But the chances you take, you scare me. And you see Kurt Russell just listen. And he does this a couple times where you just see him doing a lot without saying anything. And it just breaks your, it breaks your heart to watch him yeah. losing his wife. And he goes in and he's like, uh, you know, Sean, I, I messed up. I got to work today, uh, but we'll do it next Saturday. And mm. it's just, I mean, I'm, I'm emotional. The sacrifice he, he, he's making to do this job is his family. And, and the way he covers it up for his son to spare him the hurt and to take on and accept where his wife is at with what he does and the loneliness, you know, to, to have it all and lose it in a second. It just, it makes me cry every time. And, um, I tell you, that kid never sees his dad again. Experiment? Yeah. Hey, I want to do that. You do? Yeah. That's good. That is good. Put that in the formula. Yep. What, what about the shells? Are you going to leave the shells in there? Yeah. They're part of the formula. Yeah, they're part of the formula. I guess you know what you're doing there. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Uh. Mom! I didn't know you'd be up so early. Mom, go back to bed. We're making your breakfast in bed for you. Stephen, can I talk to you a minute? Yeah. Sure. All right, you keep going there. You're doing good. What are you doing there? You know, he told me he actually likes those piano lessons you got to take I just, I just don't want to confuse him, Steven, you know. I knew who you were when we got married. I knew how you did things. And, I mean, you, you haven't, I just can't anymore. I just, you know, I, I, I just got, I've got to worry about Sean. kisses him on the head and leaves and that that's going to be Sean's last memory of, of of a tremendous man so that's definitely one of them and and you get everyone's you get her point of view you see her love for him but also that I got to think about Sean now you know and that is reckless and that the whole job is you diving headlong into these death-defying situations on the regular and you do it and, and him more than anyone. They call him bull. Yeah. 
because he sees red and charges towards it, you know, <laughs> yeah. like he sees the yeah. fire and charges and I, that, that part makes me cry. And then obviously, you know, the other scene that I love the most is also about family and, and the, you go, we go moment with him and Scott Glenn or ax hanging him all the way until Steven's death in the ambulance is just a cry fest for old uncle Rob. see him he's he had said to helen earlier in the movie like you know till death do us part loyalty isn't that what it all is otherwise it's just the same old you know piece of shit and there his principle is on display the guys after after scott glenn on the roof says i just couldn't let it go bull then now scott uh, axe is saying to stephen let me go bull and he opens his hand and yeah. kurt russell <laughs> Damn it. Kurt <laughs> Russell says, you go, we go. I mean, this is something my buddies and I used to say to each other growing up. And 
it's about loyalty and the job and the principle and they both fall and Steven is mortally injured. And then they get him into the ambulance and there's that scene with him and Brian, the resolution scene where we lose Steven. And he's, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I ever doubted you. It's like, don't, you know, don't tell him about acts. It'll hurt the department. He's still worried about his guys, even though sometimes his leadership was a little uh, cocksure. God, yeah. And, you know, he's, he says, I'm tired of the sirens. Turn them off. I'm tired of hearing mm-hmm. sirens. And before he dies, he says, who's your brother, Brian? You are Stephen. And it's like, it's the first scene where he's like, who's your brother, Brian? He's telling him like, I know better. And then in the end, he's like, it's just, I love you. And those scenes make me cry every time talking about him. It's just, it's a, like Chris was saying, it's, it's a lot of movies. It's a mystery. It's a, it's a fire horror film. It's a movie, you know, the mystery movie about corruption and solving the riddle, but it's a movie about families. It's a movie about what we lose and, and how we become adult men. And when Steven goes away, and that's why I love that the screenwriter was a fireman, because that's not the end. The movie is the hero worship of Steven and his sacrifice, the, the procession down Michigan Avenue, you know, tilts down from the Sears Tower to the Carbon and Car carbide building into Graceland Cemetery. And now Brian is holding Sean's hand when in the beginning, Sean couldn't remember who Brian is. Spinach! We don't need no spinach. (laughs) Stop taking my lines. (laughs) And Brian becomes the man that Stephen wanted him to be. He's in that fire and he goes, that's my brother, god damn it. That's that's the one that this movie works absolutely, on me. It okay. absolutely eviscerates me. It's like, that's my brother. God damn. He takes the mask off. Pride. What about, well, also the scene too, like that right into this too, is like they're having the, the dance, like the, you know, the St. Paddy's Day dance or whatever that is. Oh. Everyone's drunk. And, and the guy, one guy from the other station's dancing with his wife and he walks up and he, it's like, he's trying to have a moment. Like, what about your brother, man? You know, he brought a, you know, a mannequin down, <laughs> idiot. The and fuck then, did you say about my brother? And then he punches him. I think he says, do you have anything more to say about my brother? Is the line. <laughs> he knocks yeah. his fucking head off. And that's when it, I'm, that's when I saw the turn, you know, cause I, I know that people who grew up with brothers, I grew up with a sister, but there's a connection with brothers and, and, and I was going, oh shit, there it is. Cause he gives him such a hard time for the first 40 minutes of the movie. But it's then, his brother, Chris. I've I grown know. up with an old... I grew up with an older brother. This movie eviscerates me. That's for that reason. We'll get up to my scenes. But that moment, like, oh, no, I will relentlessly fuck with him because he's my brother. I will fuck with him to, like, I'll make him cry. I'll torment him. I'll hold him down on the ground. And I'll do that thing where you, like, let spit out of your mouth and then suck it back up so that you, like, (laughs) you know, I'll do that shit. That's my brother. But if you go to my brother we are going to have a serious problem. Yeah. Well, and we see why he tells Helen, yeah. like I, he's, he would have bought it. Not today, maybe not next year, but he would have bought it and he can't lose anyone else. Yeah. Like it's all about fear of losing his family because he was saddled with that. He, you know, he was the best father he could be. 
And, and in that scene, uh, Chris, it's another great moment of Kurt Russell. Just we look at him watching his wife dance with another man, just so drunk. And we just see I, his I, I, sadness. I'm sorry. I have to jump in and just because I know we haven't got to Rob's second scene, but I just want to jump in and say that whole scene. Yeah. At the, the at that celebration, the shitty retirement speeches with the bad jokes that don't land or they land to booze. The, the, I mean, I need to change my view, the fight, watching them pull Steven off and then taking like seven guys to keep Kurt Russell's pulsating veins and neck like away from like just strangling this dude. I'm just like, that whole scene had, has everything. Steven, you don't have to remind me of that, okay? I'm hey, the one Steven, taking care of Steven, what about that dumbass brother of yours? Wait, wait a second. Just saving a mannequin. I mean, how fucking stupid can a guy get? Steven! You got anything else you want to say about my brother? visceral like it's visceral like you feel like i've been at parties where there's like loose units we in australia that's our phrase for it you're a loose unit like someone who just gets on a few drinks and like there is going to be a fight there's get there is a conflict brewing i can smell it in the air and there it is oh yep cool that person's gonna go and now we've got to get them out the hell out of here and i just love the like get these guys out of here not like get them arrested not let's litigate no it's like just get them out can we just Move them away because right now they're beating the living shit out of each other in front of families. Yeah. <laughs> Please get them out of this room. Well, that, that leads to a very heat theme, Blake, because a theme about being a part of the action and being not a part of the action, which Chris was alluding to in the, in the uptown theater scene where, you know, Brian is now uh, outside of the unit, right? Steven goes, Brian puts him to bed and he talks about his fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. We could just fix the boat up and then I could just float. He puts him to bed, yeah, like a kid. Yeah, puts him to bed and Steven, as he's passing out, which is a foreshadow to him lying in the ambulance later, you know, he's he's going down. But he says, I just want to float. And then we go to uh to Brian, he's on the the boat on the river at the Alderman Swayzak's event. And he is doing what Steven is fantasizing about. Like as the fire trucks go by, he's just out on the water floating, but he feels such absence to watch the other guys doing the job. And that conflict of being safe or being in the action, being ready to go to work and not being ready. And Steven knows that Brian is not ready. 
And Brian realizes that he was right when he comes out of that room with the kid, when he thought he was dead, but he was like, you really did it today, man. And Steven tells him, I, I told you shit. So he's not sensitive. Um, but, but it's very heat, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, these men are in action. They do the job. That is what they are. That is what they do. You leave everything 30 seconds when the heat is around the corner. And, and it's a very, you know, I am alone. I am not lonely. Well, Steven is lonely, right? He's very lonely because he can't absorb any more loss. I went off. I'm, I think I'm, can, can, I'm going can, through something emotional here, guys. No, it's I'm sorry. It's beautiful. Can I, can I oh. ask, can I ask one thing? Do you have a second scene? Cause you're like, like that, that was like just the one, I mean, we pivoted yeah. back to my scene. Do you have a second scene? Well, my two, yeah. My two was the, the scene with the sun. The, sun, the breakfast yeah. scene, yeah. and then the, and then the end. The end. Yeah, the cool, end. great. Yeah. Uh, the, the final one, I think we've touched on it all of us collectively together, um, but uh, it's so hard now because there's just so much. And uh, this uh, this is why this movie, this is why this show exists. It's just too much to even think about it. Um, I just want to talk about one moment before I talk about my next scene. The score playing at the bottom. Uh, at, the, at the ground floor outside of the sky rise after Tim has been burned and Tim mm-hmm. goes into the back of the ambulance and bull is putting him into the ambulance. And then the camera turns around and Ron Howard just sort of observes the faces one at a time, giving every yes. member of the crew this absolute incredible, like iconic hero shot. And then going back to Steven's face, just like his eyes, his grief, his failure is like confronting him in that moment. And Hans Zimmer's score is just that lonely trumpet wailing in grief in that moment. Like that's not a scene because it's part of like those two epic scenes we just talked about. Like, but that moment, that's yeah. the moment that I ca- that I will carry around. Like, I yeah. carry, he lost his team. He, I'll carry that moment forever. Of like, they would they'll follow him into into the furnace every time, and he's just in that moment he loses them, and particularly that he loses his brother is the is the last echo of that scene. And then there's other conflicts and things like that, but that moment is something I carry around. But if I have to talk about a scene, we we haven't we haven't said one specifically, but man, the the William Baldwin, Donald Sutherland, the 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 Manhunter slash Sans Lambs scene where he goes, you know who's doing it? I know who's doing it, and and all that quid pro quo and yeah. all those things. Uh, and you've you've seen the animal. It must have looked like it was just going to be a medium deal, didn't it? When your father bought it. What? Did you watch him when he made that ballsy jump and saved the? Hey, I didn't come here to talk about my father, okay? Yeah, I sent away for a copy of that Life magazine with your picture on the cover. 
It's a collectible. Who's doing this, Ronald? Wrong question. Who isn't? It isn't a spark, is it? Because there isn't enough damage and it wouldn't have had any fun. It isn't an insurance pro because there isn't any profit. Well, who does that leave That's us That's his with? tool. How does he do it? How does he talk to the fire? Go on. The outlets. That's probably, that's beneath you, Brian. Trick to chloride. Very good. Very good. Still haven't put it together? I have. Then who, Ronald? You want to know who? Ronald, who the hell's doing this, huh? Did it look at you? Did the fire look at you? It did. Oh. so they don't love him. Now, who doesn't love fire and is around trick to chloride all day long? Oh, my God. <laughs> that wasn't such a long walk after all, was it? Seen it. <laughs> all of that, like, that is just one of the most spectacularly performed scenes. And again... Rob and I like so quickly talked about this at the beginning, but I just want to underscore here. William Baldwin, like obviously is nowhere near as, nor Stephen, his brother is nowhere near as successful as Alec, the, you know, extremely talented comedic and dramatic brother. And I genuinely think the one thing that I love about all sorts of different movies is, and the gravitas is that sometimes you can bring from a, from an actor off screen to on screen. And so, you know, my favorite movie is heat. I think, the three of us share uh, much, uh, so much affection for that. So watching De Niro and Pacino come together and bring their whole careers to bear on those performances too. Another great one, which may feature in this series, you know, Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven, bringing his whole legacy of mm. Westerns. Um, John Ford in The Searchers, they bring their whole lives to the role and you can't help but be watching it through this like panopticon, like every role they've ever played at the same time as what you're watching with that. 
performance. And I genuinely think a guy who grew up with a brother like Alec Baldwin, more talented, more critically acclaimed, blah, blah, blah. I think William Baldwin was born to play this role. So when he's there in this movie, there is something so genuine and um, has such a deep pathos about a brother who is like an unrelenting failure in this movie. Like he, he messes up at every turn and you, even the, the great bar scene we talked about a little while ago of like, you messed up at this career, you messed up at this career, you failed at being a fireman, you failed at getting the station assignment that you wanted at, you failed in this scene, you pulled the mannequin out of the fire, you, you, you know, you failed when I said to come through the door, you had your chance to do that hero moment. And I just think that when he hits that Ronald scene, um, for me, that's the like, Oh no, this is the guy actually coming into himself and this is the guy. So when you get him at the end of the movie, still being in that firehouse, um, it's genuinely special. So that scene, the, the tell him the, the new probie yeah. who's mm-hmm. afraid you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Like his brother used to tell and him. Grindler just looks around from the captain's the lieutenant's chair and just gives him a little, Oh, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm used to a McCaffrey telling people they're doing it wrong, but yeah. I just, but I, but I just love that Sutherland scene. I just, I could, that's, that's like, that's a scene that in these movies, you know, there's, there's one clip on YouTube. You're going to dial up just when you're feeling a bit down It just type in Donald Sutherland backdraft search. Here you go. There's like a few amazing scenes over and over again. We just you watched uh, him dance with the animal. You watched him burn. Did it look at you? Did the fire look at you? <laughs> I have to give one special quick little shout out to a scene in the movie that was just, this made me laugh in the mix of it all. But when the, um, the precinct is uh, basically collecting chickens that have gone on the loose. Yes. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> like we're opening uh, fire hydrants, we're <laughs> using the jaws of life on cars, and then we do goofy stuff like uh, get chickens. <laughs> yeah, like a whole truck of chickens is driving down the road and uh, oh, they, they slip on an oil spill and the uh, next thing you know, the chickens are, are all in front of the building. Oh my God, you know. <laughs> Put a oh. chicken in a hat. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I thought that that scene was just a little goofy one. And also, too, just shout out to uh, Ron Howard's brother. That scene's also pretty good. Um, oh, when they're yeah. when they when they're inspecting the body, yeah, that's yeah, like that's a, another great scene. That's a an amazing scene. Um, well, yeah, that's Clint, like the key Clint, to the mystery of it all, you know. Clint, Clint Howard as Rico. Um, you got to have a you got to have a Howard brother, Clint, popping his head into a Ron Howard movie. Bless him. Um, he's also just really, anyways. Yeah, he's really. He's Clint Howard is just such a good character actor. It's he's awesome. so he's so wonderful. All right, we're gonna take a quick. Is break. he booger? No, is, he's not booger. Oh, okay. okay. We're gonna take. <laughs> I love that. Is he booger? We're gonna take a quick break <laughs> and come no. back with, with our two favorite characters. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply all right rob let's uh hit me with your uh, 
one of your two favorite characters. We'll go around. Uh, we'll go around here. I mean, I think I'm hoping we cover basically everyone because like, oh, there's not, there's not a single bad in my mind. There's not like a bad character in this movie, as in as in performer. They're just they're they're also great in in their own way. So, do you have a favorite? Look, I'm, I mean, I'm going to start like I did with The Fugitive. I mean, the leading man in this film, it, it, it's a story about Brian's growth, but the person who shoulders the hose in this film is Kurt Russell. Yeah. And he's incredible. I think he he's fun. He's stern. Um, he's just, you know, you got to go, go. Like, He's everything that we want to watch in a hero with leadership that is incredible and goes awry, but he knows and learns before he passes on. Like, you know, I did the best I could, Brian. I, I cause I had no options. Run I mean, damn you. I say that to my mate. <laughs> Run. <laughs> Run damn you. He, you know, I beat it. The fire never got me. He's just, um, he's great. He's great in the role. Like you mentioned, we see his face kind of bubble uncontrollably in a couple places. Once where, where he's holding Axe over the flame and the other where like they're holding him back from Brian after they fight at the hospital. You know, he's just so insane. Yeah. furious. And you just see his cheek like <laughs> uh, kind of spasm. And so, yeah, look, Stephen McCaffrey is... I'm, I'll take the lead out. I'm the lead there. Chris. Uh, De Niro as Robert Ringale is uh, maybe saying that wrong, but he is, uh, I, I said it earlier. And um, again, I think in, in talking about it with you, it's bringing up a lot of ideas as well in, in regards to their dynamic on paper. Um, but De Niro is, got so much history that you could feel in this character, um, you know, with the burns and the scars. And I, I love this like one scene cause he also gets banged up and he's kind of a badass in a way I like a badass to be the scene when they go into the mansion. I, get, uh, I, I think I got a problem got, here. Got a little problem here. Got a little problem here. Sorry After to step on my favorite. Two dudes, <laughs> one of them, the shitty alderman. Yeah. <laughs> He gets like knocked out by the mysterious man, uh, and he kind of just like sh- it. I, it was just a very De Niro way of handling it. He just like he's like been beat up, and he's got to save his buddy. He just kind of like shakes his head, goes right to his friend. I know what I need to do, and gets him out. He he's just such a dynamic actor, and he plays this character so well. And like I said, I just you see the full depth of De Niro in this character, and you don't think of this as a Robert De Niro movie, but it is. And I think even one of the comments earlier on, on Twitter, I didn't even know he was in this. Um, it, he, he just really steals it for me. And, and uh, I enjoy watching him all the time, but uh, this character and his depth to call the chaos of, of uh, the fire, the mind, whatever it stands for in the movie um, is, is really, really awesome. And I just, I just love every scene that he's in. It's really, you're, you're right. It, He's not the lead. It's a really generous performance from De Niro mm. because he comes in and generously, he serves the story and he serves the lead characters. He teaches Brian what's important. He, he unravels, you know, the themes and the mystery of the film. 
but he he does it all the while just doing the the next most important thing to his character in every scene and he's unflappable so it it's a lovely generous performance to the film and what the film's needs are and man to get De Niro to do that is yeah and amazing exactly that i think he's not trying to steal the movie but he's, no. he's it's kind of like some some acting roles you get uh, i often refer to them as like I've just was hired to play drums here. Like they don't need me to do anything. They just, you know, I, I'm just here to play the yes. drums. I'm a day player. And in a way, De Niro, it's like they they hired like Bernard Purdy to come in and play drums for it's him. The, like this, it's the, the best session musician drum. gig you can of get. all time. Of all time. Yeah. It's, it could have been given to so many people, but we're gonna get the best to play this. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. It's, it's like it's, David Bowie singing backup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's it's it's. Uh, there's a couple of Foo Fighters. Uh, not there's a, there's like a triangulation of like recent, probably like decade ago of like Nine Inch Nails, Foo Fighters, and Queens of the Stone Age. Like when Dave Grohl just like gets Josh Homme to come on and play a riff on one track, and you're like, this is a flex, Dave. It's a big yeah. flex. For, and like Trent Reznor, it's like, you make him with teeth and you get five tracks to be drummed by Dave Grohl. That is a flex, okay? That's yes. what we call a flex. Um, I was just going to say, the it's such a smart choice not to make the investigator a hated character in the movie. Yeah. Like, you feel like, I don't know if, I don't know if it's a, it's a trope of television or other movies that I've seen, and I can't particularly pinpoint it. But I'm like, I love that. Well, he does there it is... in Copland too. Yeah, you he's, know, he's he's, he's is... the antagonistic. Yeah, that's that's probably what the I'm IA guy. About. Real yeah. quick, yeah. Though, real quick to the De Niro scene. I just remembered it now. Well, another like really quick funny line when he offers the the mayor mayoral candidate with a mayor uh, Chinese sponge cake. That scene <laughs> is really great because he also protects his guys. Yes. The mayor's like going like, hey, you know, when are you going to, you have three in a row. And he looks at him and goes, oh, I didn't know that that guy's identity was released yet. You know, and, I took those notes on that because De Niro just stares at him. He, yes. And then he eats a little, but he never breaks the tension. He's just looking at him and you know he knows, but he's going to let him keep talking. Yeah. And to that point, Blake, too, yeah, like. It, he has the opportunity to be your antagonist. Like he's the nosy investigator and everyone, you know, but he similar to Tommy Lee Jones and fugitive is, is still the good guy and he's protecting his dudes. He's just protecting them in a different way that they can't realize in yeah. the same way that bull is protecting his guys by making sure they make the right decisions in the fire, you know, and, and that's, what's cool. You see them both kind of play in different ways. And obviously at the end of the film, you have De Niro, you know, basically burying bull, which is just tragic, but he's one of them. Yes. And he yeah. Always has I love back. that he cuts to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's completely, and his whole role there and it's the respect. There's no point, And in that great cinema scene, you see it. There's no point where they disrespect him. No. Like shadow is like a revered figure and they know that he's one of theirs. And so mm -hmm. it's like, there's always this knowing nod. Like if they, if they're led by Steven, as they are so much, like, Steven and Shadow like have the deepest respect between one another. And so yeah, I I I love that that could totally have been the Copland thing and he does it again in Copland Rob. Thank you. I think that's what must have been swirling around my mind, but I'm like no. Mo Tilden. I, I yeah. Oh. <laughs> you blew it maybe another future um this cupcakes fucks around we might have, have ourselves a case again <laughs> maybe a future well, but, but did, we, we just keep projecting out we just keep projecting our future, future too much choices. Choices. <laughs> yeah. 
um, Rimgale, you know, he has danced with the animal, right? That yeah, he yeah. saved, he saved Swayzak, but also he's he shadow because he saved Ronald. Yes. Ronald tells the story that he saved Ronald, but he didn't know that there was phosphor phosphorus behind him, and he shines so bright he left his shadow on the wall, and that's why he's shadow. You know, it's, he's been burned. It's, he's danced with the animal. That's why everyone. It's that that scene. That is a scene that when you watched it as a kid, never left you. When he's putting his shirt on and his entire back is yeah. completely burned, burned. Yeah. It's it's nasty. Now he's talking about himself. Like the only way to kill it is to love it a little. Like he loves it a little. Here's a mm. tidbit. This is a personal tidbit I've never shared on a podcast. So here we go. Back in like the old olden times, probably around the time that all of our parents were born. One of the ways that they would heat up cots for babies is they'd put like, like metal, they'd warm up like a metal kettle or whatever. And they'd put it in a cot for babies when they were born and like cover it with a blanket and stuff like that to heat it up for like little ba newborns. My dad had a, what ended up being a, a le I think it's his left butt cheek burn scar. Wow but that he got that was the entire length of his body because when he was a baby, that kettle that they put into his <gasps> crib, oh, no. he leant against it as a baby and rolled against it and he had a burn that ended up only being like proportionally the size of a butt cheek scar as an older person. Um, uh, but he had this scar that was there. And so like it was, it ended up, when you've got an ass scar, of course, it's something that's going to get shown off. Um, uh, especially <laughs> though, so it became a, it became a running joke sure. in the family, but the reality of that incident only for me ever like crystallized when I saw this movie as a young man, like going hold, like, yeah. wait, wait, that was your whole body. Like, so as a mm -hmm. young person, the stigma of then having this scar that mm, would have mm. enveloped a big chunk of his body, like for, for a whole young part of his life before it, like obviously shrinks proportionally as you get taller and, 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 and grow into your body, so to speak. But it's like, that was just so insane, like mm -hmm. insane to me that, that, that was, his, and it just, it's, it left an indelible mark on me that scene and his character and and even and even freaking ronald goes you still wearing those long sleeves like he's just <laughs> such an antagonistic prick and it's just um it's really fantastic all right so we've done obviously we've now done um steven and uh we've done um uh donald and now uh as in donald rimgale shadow um i'll i'll chime in with ronald i i donald sutherland uh, I, mean, I that's know that Donald he, and Ronald, Donald and Ronald, his yeah. shadow. I never um, noticed that before. I didn't notice it either. And I'm like, Oh, that's even better. Um, I, I just want to say he's just, I know he's going to be a topic of an upcoming, uh, or he's going to form such a, a, a linchpin part of an upcoming too much movie that we have on the horizon. But man, I just love every single choice that he makes. He's just so wonderful. It's at that perfect point of his career where he can just do anything um, and he just comes in and he's got gravitas and he's got creepiness and he's got intensity and this like level of play. I think his playfulness is what has always been so wonderful because the more playful yeah. he is, the more creepy he is. And I, because he's just in the most intense 
and dour and, and and situations. He just comes in and he just has this like devilish smile that is infectious, and you find yourself smiling without realizing you're smiling. I just love him as this arsonist who is so unabashed about burning little girls and old women, and I and that's that great connection with Robert De Niro's Donald Shadow Rimgale is when he comes in and just brings the like he keeps these artifacts of Donald's menace and torment and just like brings it out to him and he gets inspired and is gleeful and it's cute. Mm. And yeah, he's just, he's absolutely thrilling uh, in this movie. He he just knocks it out of the park and he's got such little screen time compared to other characters and he just completely crushes it. Well, he's childlike and also contained while being um, like you're saying, playful and clearly insane, but yeah in the insanity is the heart of the whole thing, you know, that he treats the fire with respect. Like he said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I let the animal get away from me, you know, and um, he delivers the most unspoken thing, which is, did the fire look at you? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and in that first scene, when the, 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 uh, building explodes and baby Brian or young Brian is looking up and you see the fire just come out and, and like at him. And then again, later when he's fighting the hose and the pause fighting for the hose, he gets the hose and he, it pauses for a second and the fire like rages out at him and it looks at him again. And Ronald knows, you know, he speaks to that, that the fire can look at you. And, and we see it happen with Brian. He like, threads the whole thing together from that kind of, I don't know, supernatural, insane point of view that is, you know, reasonable in his mouth. I'm going for the hose. go back to you chris uh now who's your other favorite character in this movie um I, you know i i want to just say you know because i i, I use this point to really highlight i think and i i just have to say collectively all of these characters are amazing <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. you know i i i think um we could all have our own take on how great bull is and 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 and, and we'd get various different reasons on why they're great um I just, I think because I said it earlier and this character just stood out to me and had, um, you know, so many moments um, and some of my favorite lines to that, that point too. And that would be the, the Cedric Young character. Yes. Um, I just Grindel. think like Grindel. Yeah. Grindel was just like, um, he was just like so entertaining to watch. And I always, my eye always caught you know, with whatever he was doing, even towards the very end, he was always like, you know, 
mugging people and like, you know, had like a, <laughs> like a tough look and he just embodied toughness. Um, and I, I just think that he also just symbolized firefighters for me in watching the movie, like everyone else, like they're their characters, but he just kind of had the job of like uplifting, you know, all these people who are just not, you know, black people, all kinds of people who are not being represented in the film. He just had it and he carried it so well. Um, and also again, like I'm Brian, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Damn it. <laughs> so no. sorry. Have, dude, for lines, for favorite lines for this podcast, I have to go deep. And I think I went pretty deep for the ones that are my favorite, but yeah, that was what I had down. You meet him when he goes, I'm Brian. And he's got that just like, I don't give a fuck. I'm sorry. It's such a great entry to the character. He's always on a swivel and got a cigarette in his mouth and the, the beaming red of the smoke is always just there. Highlight. All the, also, side note, every character in this movie is smoking cigarettes. I found that really interesting. Yes. Oh, I mean, Scott Glenn in the after effect of that fire when he's coughing. He's coughing. <laughs> yeah. And then he lights the cigarette and he's like, oh. there's just like smoke and ash everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Great, great character. He's the best. Rob, who have you got? Who's your number two? Gosh, I mean, look, I'm glad you guys took uh, Donald and Ronald because they're they're fantastic. I, I I think Baldwin does a great job um, being like the prodigal son returning home, and I think he's he, his best performance he, in his whole career. It's his best yeah, he fought, he he's he does a he does a good job um, with you know one one moment that is like we have lots of traditions like dying young and he walks away from the alderman like that was like okay so <laughs> so so like howdy but um but i think i'll for my since you guys have said my other two i'll, I'll put i'll put axe and swayzak together yes that works. both great both in you know what we realize uh in conflict with one another Sway JT Walsh just delivers such a great, sm like smarmy, cold, corrupt, greedy all Chicago alderman. And like anytime they're talking about him, you know, when know when Baldwin tells um, Jennifer Jason Lee, like, I don't know anything about well, that. You might be able to find out. Get me his files. Do you know what you're asking me to do? Yeah. Four years ago, I was punching a cash register, okay? Two years ago, Marty Swayzak didn't even know my name. I was bringing the guy coffee. I practically run that office now. And Marty, he believes in me. I just, um... You're asking me to just throw that all Your away. Your boss is a liar, Jennifer. It's on North Avenue Beach, and in the background, you see the Drake Hotel and the Hancock building and the Chicago skyline. It's like corruption is part of this city. 
and he is part of the city. Um, even the final scene, right, where the trucks are all going down Chicago Avenue from the west side to go fight fire with the city in the background. I mean, they turn, but it, it is about, you know, keeping the soul of Chicago alive mm -hmm. without being totally corrupted. And that fire is greed and corruption. And, you know, the firemen are loyalty and principle. And, and that's what I think we latch onto and find so moving. And when we go too far, we become acts. We yes. become Scott Glenn who breaks the code. We're firemen. We don't hurt people. You know, that's the thing we don't do. And throughout the whole movie, he's such a great, that Toastmaster scene is so great because Glenn could kill that toast, but he doesn't, he's not great in there. He's like, <laughs> no, yeah. like a bad Toastmaster would be, you know, Santos and all that. Um, <laughs> and Brian, but he is a thread from the, he's the generational thread through them all. He is a father figure who, who gives the, appro the approving nods to Brian, but then says and on the rooftop, your dad would be sick if he saw you. And they were killing us for money, you know, like, yeah. Uh, he sounds like a Chicago fireman. You believe that he's part of the, the environment of the firehouse mm -hmm. and the fires and the smoking pits. He just does a great job serving the film and being a, a parallel character that is the most important character of the whole thing, sure. right? The the spark or the um, flashpoint, ignition point, flashpoint, flashpoint or ignition point. Yeah. yeah. Well, a couple of things about Scott Glenn and and actually Kevin Casey and William Baldwin and Kurt Russell. They were all doing a lot of their own fire stunts, and one of the scenes actually required Scott Glenn to be on fire. So not only is he acting, like doused in that like protective, you know, gel or whatever the case may be to set him on fire. Like this is a guy who's not only doing so much as far as delivering on the performance that he needs to do, but actually being on fire in this movie because the fire looks so amazing. Um, so yeah, he had to get doused after the scene because he was yeah. literally on fire. And here's wow. a sliding doors moment. This, the internet research, if it is to be believed, is that one Bradley Pitt was meant to be Brian McCaffrey. Really? And instead went off to play the small part of JD and Thelma and Louise in 1991 in the same year. Wow. Interesting. I love stories like that. Um, what uh, could have been. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it was, it, it was, William Baldwin beat out Brad Pitt and I think they were both jostling for that JD role in Thelma and Louise. So it's a sliding doors moment where Baldwin gets the gig, Brad Pitt goes off, but I totally could see Brad Pitt, Kurt Russell, Brad Pitt, Kurt Russell, like as yeah, brothers yeah. could, they could totally completely could totally work. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, um, that Scott Glenn just does a really great job. I, I, again, like he's a character who's kind of like highlighting, the corruption and they do a great job of just subtly introducing that yes. you know because like the scene too where he is crying he's kind of teary-eyed after um tim dies you know it's like he's all these guys are feeling the the pain that's going on and well chris you're 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 seen with the in the high rise like on rewatch watching glenn 
yeah. say, bull, don't split us up. Bull, wait for backup. Don't yep. take the probie. Like, you know why. And it's, it's haunting to know that he knows that that fire has been set and he's just hoping it doesn't get one of his guys. I'm sorry. It's you check that door. You check that door. Check that door for heat, Tim. Check that door for heat. Tim. Check that door for heat, Tim. And also we, you, you spoke about um, JD, uh, JT Walsh rather Jennifer Jason Lee is one of her mentors is JT Walsh. And she suggested that he do the gig to Ron really? Howard. Yeah. And she said, he's a great actor. He's effortless. He just, she's like, he's like, you should cast JT Walsh. What a, what a, what a piece of casting. And also, um, I know that our friend Jen Johans might be out there listening. I'm just going to say this. My theory is that JT Walsh, um, takes revenge on Kurt Russell in breakdown a few years later after backdraft breakdown is in fact the revenge movie for backdraft because of Alderman Swayzak's rise and fall in backdraft. That's my little uh, side movie uh, theory uh, as uh, JT Walsh for anyone who remembers is just the absolutely awesome and scene chewing villain in that. Well, and, and also he's coming out of the grifters in 1990, that amazing, insane amazing. performance on the, on the bed. Remember? when he's totally lost his mind with an Ed Benning and then he moves into this like slick, smarmy, corrupt Chicago alderman. He's so good. God, he's good. God, God his resume is ridiculous in the nineties, by the way, as well. Like he's just like, what we lost he got him here? too young. He's yeah. yeah, he's we did. misery backdraft, a few good men. Mm-hmm. He plays that kid. Yeah. Personal favorite loaded weapon one. <laughs> um, uh, personal favorite of mine. Uh, <laughs> Outbreak. The negotiator. Negotiator. Executive decisions. Sling blade. Breakdown in '97. Holy shit! What? What a? What a? What a '90s! My goodness, scary good. He's so good at playing a percept, like a person perceptibly hiding behind a mask with a secret. Yes. You know. Totally. He's great. Um, yeah. I I literally. Um, it's so hard for me to even come close to um, splitting who's my next favorite character. It's really hard. I'll just say, yeah. I I mean, I just love Jennifer Jason Lee in this movie and I love Rebecca De Mornay. I think they're doing completely different things. Jennifer Jason Lee, I know, you know, uh, in the nicest and most respectful way I can say, you, she's so hot, it's unbelievable. Like she's one of the most attractive people yeah. that's ever been on a movie screen in the early 90s. And so she's just wonderful at that. But also the quandary of her being out of her depth because you love that JT Walsh is like this effortless and cool. And you can see her trying to do that thing, that kind of class um, that class tension of being this like totally working class neighborhood girl trying to dress and act like all of these vacuous, you know, city corporate people. And it doesn't work for her and it doesn't wear well on her. Um, but I think that that's the charm of the performance. So I really love that. And just Rebecca De Mornay says like three lines in this movie and has such an amazing emotional weight um, as this person who's burdened with you know, Steven's career choice. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think we've pretty much named the top line cast, but like everyone in this movie is great. They are so fun. Um, the, the whole team of firefighters is so excellent. And, and, and yeah, I just, I've got, a, I've got a tremendous amount of time for like basically all the performers in this movie. And Jennifer Jason Lee is a lot like Brian, right? Yes. She wants to be in the action. 
And the yeah. action she can get is the, the city machine. Mm-hmm. But when she asks, she straight up asks, you know, is there something you're not telling me? And JT Walsh says, no. And you know, he's lying. She does the right thing. You know, she yes. has the principle yeah. of, of her neighborhood and, and Rebecca De Mornay again, like to look at her and what she offers as in, in the home, like Stephen can't even come into the house. He's working on the roof. Like, <laughs> and showing up in the back shed. He's just to see her love, how she generously gives the, her Stephen love and, and can't even hate him. And it's just all that he's lost by losing her and his family. It, it makes her performance so heartbreaking. It's simple and elegant and straightforward and like warm while still being protected against this crazy impending grief. She knows she's going to have to feel by being married to this risk taking man. And it's, it, it just hits you in the heart. I mean, talk about beautiful and, and excellent on screen. She's, she's incredible. All right, let's, let's take a quick break and let's get to our, uh, let's get to our two favorite quotes, which I know that we've probably jumped all over because this movie is so (laughs) insanely quotable, but let's get to our two favorite quotes when we come back. All right, gents, let's try and get the, get some of the quotes out that we haven't actually uh, completely destroyed because we're having too much fun talking about this movie um, and uh, and quoting it. And along you guys the have way. taken. You guys, have, I'm like down to the bottom of my favorite quotes. No, no, you you just got to say, say say your top ones, Chris. Come on, we, we the the movie's so damn quotable. We want to hear it. Each of us do the impressions of everything. It's 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 fantastic. Okay, well. Um, I'm going to have to go back to my good friend, uh, Cedric Young. Shake and bake, boy. I think we got a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe it's just, That's yeah. the first time I'd heard shake and bake as an Australian. Shake and bake, boy. We got yeah. a barbecue. So good. That, that, yeah. And I was just, it was, you know, hijacked from those jerks, Will Ferrell and, uh, and John C. Riley and uh, <laughs> Talladega Nights is a backdraft quote. Um, no, that 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 line just encompasses the whole movie, the rambunctiousness of uh, the film, um, and uh, yeah, that's that's one of my, my favorite quotes from it. But I also, you know, you go, we go. It, 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 it's it's it, it, I think it. I I'd, I'd be interested. To try, I'd I'd be interested to say that all of us will have that as our favorite one. And it, it just means so much. Um, it's also one of the great lines in cinema. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's, 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 this is a movie from 1991 and we're in 2022 and we're people, you could still say at a bar to someone, you go, we go. And, and the other person will be like backdraft. It's, it's a very, very strong, memorable line. And the writer should be unbelievably proud of coming up with that one. And, and just the, the strained, like the the more the more mustard you put on it with your friends, the more they know how serious you are. You what go, happens? We go. Like it happens just, twice so, in the movie. It happens twice. It happens yeah. early on at that uh, the uh, mannequin fire, as I'll call it, and then it yeah. happens at the very end. And it's end, your boy. Yeah. It's your boy, Cedric Young. Yeah, that does the yeah. line at that point. That's it's it's amazing. Like and Santos and is st- like hanging. Yeah, and Stephen explains it when he's talking to Helen. He says. You don't leave people hanging. It holds everything up, doesn't it? Loyalty. Yes. Yeah. You know. And then he says, "I really miss you." Oh. I know. You seem so sad. 
the my favorite line. I'm going to go to a, like a really deep one um, because it just absolutely cracks me up. It's um, it's actually a Tim line um, because bless his heart, Tim is just so um, amazing. It's when they go to the first fire and Tim is just like giddy <laughs> with he's so giddy and he goes you need a second lead out and the guy goes what he goes a second lead out and t- and the guy goes what the fuck are you talking about get out of here <laughs> i just I just love that because so, he's so he's like this is it Brian and it's so like you totally get that he's excited but at the same time it's not a time to be excited Timmy someone just got catapulted in an explosion into the windscreen of like an expensive car out the front of this house no one needs to be Ron this- West yeah Ron West yeah. is just like shot into a, into a car um, and I just love the the look on Pengeli's face when he's like, "What? Like a second leader? Like he's just like wet and drunk? Like, Get the fuck out of here!" <laughs> like basically, oh, I love it. I love it so much. That silly line. All right, uh, what else did we miss, Rob? Let's keep going. Yeah, I mean, too. It's everything is so. We go, you go, we go. You know, the standing in a in a lake of gasoline, but yeah. <laughs> The, all the Ronald stuff, all the De Niro stuff, like, what's this job all about? It's a living thing, Brian. It breathes, it eats, and it hates. Like, the way De Niro, it's just the way De Niro speaks. Like, when he's talking to the fire and to his recorder, he's like, come on, tell me where you started. Oh, um, such a good scene. Yeah. 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 This guy don't love, this guy's different. He don't love fire. We got a stone killer trying to make a point, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, I think I've said all my favorites. The other, the, the, the one with um, Not Ronald, where he's like flammable liquids because it wants to. That's yeah, exactly. So that whole speech is incredible. Yeah, um, a living thing. That's and, a monologue uh, and a half. A yeah, I've got, uh, dude. I had to write the whole thing down. Very good. Um, but also, Ronald, when Ronald looks at him, he's like, "How does he talk to the fire?" You know, it's great. It's all so good, but, but, you know, easily my two favorites, or I have three favorites and I've said them already. You go, we go. Look at him. That's my brother. God damn it. And when he's talking to Sean and he said, he says, um, you know what, Sean, I messed up. I got to work today, but we'll do it again next Saturday. Yeah. Kisses him. Those are the three that, two that make, they all three make me cry every time I watch the goddamn movie. So that's my goddamn line. You guys have hit all the emotional beats. The other one is, I love it because of how strange it is. And there's no way any other actor in the whole world could say this line. And it actually remotely makes sense. Funny thing about firemen is night and day. 
They're always firemen. They're always firemen. <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't even know what that line means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, watched, I've now watched this movie three times in two weeks, and I'm like, that's a hilarious. <laughs> that's like, there's no one that could do that line. That line just needs to go on the cutting room floor for 20 movies. But just the way he, Donald Sutherland chews on it as Ronald, it's just like so Shadow. funny. Shadow. Also, like, you could have burned or killed or crispened half that company, you know? <laughs> Crispin is so. Hey man, Chinese sponge cake. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chinese sponge cake. When are you going to catch the prick that's doing this, Don? Don. Yeah, don't you have any leads at all? No, Marty, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, god, this movie yeah. rules. God, it again, abs- yeah, it's it's a candidate for it. it you know, it, on my rewatch, it's it's just stuffed. And it's funny because a lot of movies these days, you watch them, and if they are too long, and I won't name what current Cape Crusader film came out that was a little too long, you have these movies oh, that are very Chris, long. I'm on the I'm the I'm like one of the three negative reviews for that movie on the internet. So uh-huh. we can say that the the Batman. Well, just wash your mouth out all you fools saying that it's the best Batman ever. Are you kidding me? You fucking for real right now? Yeah, I'll get, the I'll Dark Knight, in. the Dark Knight, and Batman Returns just knocked and said, "Shut up! What are you I'll, talking about?" I'll be a Grindle. I'll have your back on this. <laughs> that that movie uh, is 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 too long, and this movie is, <laughs> this movie is two hours and seventeen minutes, and there's a lot going on. And yeah. it, you can fit a lot of story, a lot of backstory into a movie. And Backdraft's a great example of a movie that's got multiple stories, multiple characters. Nothing. It, it's it's very it's budgeted out so well, and it, it and you don't you you get it. You get the whole thing. Um, and so it's a popcorn masterpiece, is what it is. Like the Fugitive. Like you go in there, you think you're just watching a movie, but really, it's it's just it's a masterpiece. A masterpiece of action, of heart, you know, of uh, theme, and the way he use, the way he shoots the fire. No one ever seen that seen it done like that before. You know, the yeah. stunts are insane. The acting is incredible, and all the pieces fit together in a way that is sad yet satisfying, which is just what you want from a a, a movie, you know, in a summer blockbuster. But there's so much more going on that makes it continue to make Rob Belushi cry three plus <laughs> times a yeah. watch oh. 25 years later. It was one of, it was, uh, the, it's the, it, it grossed $152 million in 1991 terms worldwide. Wow. Which is insane. Like, and I don't know how you could leave this movie from a movie theater. That's like, that's kind of devastating is we now can just stream it and you watch it or you watch it on Blu-ray. But man, imagine watching this in a theater with like a packed house, especially like if you've got any buddies who are firemen, like sitting in a room with these guys and having a few beers and then going to, you know, just getting it, getting them in there. Hopefully not as many as uh, Stephen has in the in that speech uh, thing, but just having watching, just sitting in an audience with popcorn and just what this is a yeah popcorn masterpiece is a great way to put it because oh my god what a what a great movie this would see with a crowd what a crowd pleaser roll the hose now. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh God, yeah. I, I uh, get I really it on really your could. shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> what do I have here? I have one more retirement party schmoozers. I don't know what that means. Anyways, no, the, no, no. I think I think you're talking about the guys who were doing the bad oh, jokes. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm watching the credits and, and I'm going, this is such a great movie. There's a, they, they, they cataloged all the background and there was one catalog of people that were the retirement party schmoozers. <laughs> so cheers to all the retirement party schmoozers in, in, in backdraft. Bless all of you. I feel schmoozers. like you can't even really understand like whatever speech, you know, whatever roast speech they're making at that retirement party. All I heard was like, picture raffle ticket it's going to the irishman's brigade fun pop and then the you know the irish jig girls come out and you're like uh before we wrap up i just want to talk about backdraft we've been talking all these like top line cast people these exciting exciting you know superhero level character actors that just pop into a movie and you're so thrilled to see them but backdraft apart from being high grossing apart from being entertaining apart from being moving has one of the greatest credits i've ever seen shout out to louise wolf who is credited in the backdraft uh, backdraft uh, uh credits as falling chair lady <laughs> so bless her <laughs> Bless your heart. Bless your heart, Louise Wolf. We celebrate you uh, for falling off of a chair and uh, and and gracing the Chicago skyline with your underpants. Um, it's 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 really special. Um, this movie rules, um, gentlemen. This is always a complete blast to do with both of you. Um, these movies are just so great. It's the funnest homework possible. Um, Especially when you watch uh, something new uh, that maybe disappoints and just to go back and just to, just to marvel at the scale of this thing and to marvel at like, you know, there's not much cheating in this movie. They can't cheat the ridiculous stunts that they do in this movie. They can't cheat the spaces that they create or the engines, you know, the fire engines that they have to reluctantly tip over at parts of this movie because they're very expensive machines. And, and I, I, I mean, every, every dollar, every cent, every minute of this movie is just, it's just a, it's just a, a, a shrine um, and I love it. And I'm, um, I'm so glad that uh, we, we found our way back to it. Me too. Know, man. Check that door Me for too. heat next time. Yeah. Check yeah it, I, check, I checked that door for heat on Backdraft <laughs> and let me tell you, it exploded with joy and entertainment. It was hot, so I didn't get out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you go, we go. I mean, go. Ron Howard really, his final, his final image is uh, of a movie about Chicago firemen is a Chicago fire truck heading towards downtown a Chicago along Chicago Avenue. Yes. Like it's just it, at magic hour shot. with the smoke in the air. So and, and, and it's the smoke and, and it's magic hour. So it looks like the city is always going to be on fire and it's, yeah. it's these guys job to save the city, you know? Talk about the Batman. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a superhero movie. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. 
Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.